Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Grant us your peace. And grant us an opportunity to think about your word and reflect deeply on the meaning of our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word of the Lord that engages us this morning is not in your bulletin, but rather from Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, verses 19 through 24, and reads as follows. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's a very unique time in our congregation. A little bit crazy. It's a unique time because we're short two pastors, and uh, we've got the work to do of, of five. It's just what it, what it is. Our executive director left, and, and I figured what we would do is use that as an opportunity to kind of reorganize and restructure the church and not just hire people to plug holes, but, but uh, rethink how we can best get after the mission of, distor- of delivering the restorative hope of, of Jesus. And I had everything kind of figured out as the senior pastor does. I had it all together and all good to go. And, and then I received a report last week and I knew we had done a lot, but I hadn't known we'd done this many. Since the middle of August, we've had 13 funerals, two a week. And of those 13 funerals, I was able to participate in eight of them. And for any church in any community, that's a lot of loss for us to think about and a lot of loss for us to to deal with. And each funeral in each family is different. No two are the same. Each context and situation in life is a little different. Some families want to move quickly through their uh, pain and grief. Others want to pause and stop and take a moment to, to, to reflect and connect with one another. Some want to celebrate. Others want to cry. Still others want to be quiet and others want to talk. And so in my pastor work, it, it, it's kind of my job to figure out the, the pathway of grief and the kind of comfort and support that the families need and that I give them their room to grieve and let them see where and how God guides the process of their saying goodbye to their loved ones. Now, as surely as some things are different, there's some of the things that are similar. People are always hurting and they're always looking for a pathway for themselves and for others to make it through the time of loss and then find healing and peace on the other side of of their grief. And every story, every family has a story. Every single one and every story is unique. And everyone looks at the person's life through their own unique view and story narrative connection with that purpose. And for devoted Christians, that story is typically how God has connected their lives to himself and to the lives of other people. Finding something wonderful, something valuable, something edifying in someone's life who's 
who's gone to be with the Lord Jesus. And it's a lot of grief and a lot of loss that's gone through our community. Yesterday, I participated in a funeral down in Laguna Niguel for a, for a wife of a dear friend of mine. I knew his story and the story of his family through him and through his eyes, through the eyes of his boys. And, and, and yesterday, I got to see the life of his dear wife through the eyes of her church in Laguna Niguel, her friends and the family, their boys, which I had not, not met before. She was a leader. You would have never known it when she started coming to St. John's because she was sick and filled with cancer and needed the love and the support of a community. With her sickness and her illness, her ministry was to give intercessory prayer for people. And after she'd meet with them in prayer, they would look and say, Helen, we need to pray for you. And she said, no, this is my gift. This is what I want to give. This is what I want to do and to support and encourage you. Again, the lady came up and told a story of her friend. She came up and she had a white cane and she couldn't see very well. And at the point that the lady's vision had gone bad, Helen had intervened in the lady's life and said, here's the deal, we're gonna go Wednesday mornings and I'm gonna pick you up and we're gonna go, we're gonna have breakfast, we're gonna get our hair done, we're gonna go to the bank, we're gonna go to the store, we're gonna make sure everything's good. And then she looked at the lady, she smiled, and she said, and we're going to get a little more pizzazz and a little more color in your wardrobe. She gave selflessly. And person after person after person had been blessed by the gifts of her love, her service, and her sacrifice to others. My point is this. In her very humble, quiet life, she invested in giving to others and her life was oriented towards giving, and her heart was where her treasure was, invested in other people. Of the 13 funerals we've had, I participated in eight, and all of those eight have one thing in common. And it kind of depends on where you fall in the, in the realm of, of, of uh, funerals and, and being a Lutheran. There's some people who say you shouldn't talk during the funeral and others say let's have an open mic and sit and share all the stories that we can possibly share. And I see room for both. Some families like to talk, some like to sit and listen. And it's all okay. But one thing all of those eulogies have in common and that is that the deceased is not primarily remembered for their profession and their career. Usually that's a footnote, an introduction, or an ending piece. Very seldom is that the body of the eulogy. If he would have just worked one more week, he would have accumulated a lot more vacation. If he would have just had one more paycheck, then we could have added that into the trust. If he would have just had one more week, he could have finished that project. Of all of the funerals that I've done, hundreds of them, I've never heard that said one time. Rather, people speak of what has filled their hearts and what has given meaning to their lives. People speak of trips to national parks and camping when children are little, service to country and serving as a veteran. People talk about leading and serving in their church, about loving and connecting with other people, and on and on and on. And the point is that when you live generously, you make an eternal impact, and that impact reflects the heart of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, 24, these words, 
No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Basic inclination of humanity is to possess, to have, to hang on to. And so the Lord calls us to a life that's countercultural to that. He calls us to a life of generosity in which we let go of those things through which so many others find security. And we live kind of an upside down life. Instead of holding on, He calls us to let go, to let our lives be marked by giving rather than taking. And that's the attitude and the inclination that God has called us to in laying up treasures in heaven. And Jesus paved the way for that. His heart was a heart towards giving. In all ways, Jesus gave and gave and gave and gave until hanging on the cross, He had nothing else to give. When He came to a man blind from birth, He gave him. He gave him sight. He gave him community. He gave him faith. When he came to a boat full of disciples who were afraid, he gave them his presence. He brought them peace. And he gave them courage. When he came to a world filled with sin and death, he brought forgiveness and resurrection. When he came to you, he didn't shake you down for a gift and said, hey, if you, if you figure out how to give, and then, then, then I'll do something for you. Rather, in his love, God poured out His life as a gift for us. And that giving makes all the difference for you and me. It makes us people of generosity. People who have a marvelous gift of faith given to us by God Himself. Our congregation is a very special place. I love love our church. We have a church that, that, that gives and gives and gives. There's so much giving that goes on here, you can't put it all on a spreadsheet or or, or kind of ferret it all out and figure out who's doing what for whom. There's not necessarily a program that says, you take care of this person, you do that, you give this and you give that. Rather, there's a community and a culture that says, we're going to give and we're going to love and we're going to care. I love to wander the campus, especially today, Wednesdays and Thursdays. Every room is full with ministry. Leaders giving the gift of leadership, Bible study leaders giving the gift of teaching, teachers giving the gift of instruction, people praying for and loving and caring for each other, people exchanging the gifts of life and community. But sometimes there's needs in our community, and those needs aren't met with dollars or stuff. Sometimes a person's need is to be connected, to know somebody, to be known, to be loved, to find community, to find prayer, to find grace, to find help. And then people come around that person. Not long ago, I was coming out of the Federal Credit Union over by the old uh, Ralph store off of Yorba and Chapman. And I was going out and another lady was going in and I stopped and said, hello. I said, how you doing? What you up to? She said, well, uh, just doing some banking, got some time, I'm chilling out. And, and then she started to cry because she had just lost her husband. And I said, you're going to the bank? That must be a good thing or a bad thing. And we smiled and she looked up and she said, pastor, it's a super good thing. She had an envelope full of gifts from friends and loved ones 
that in the time of her husband's sickness and loss, dollars had run short. And God had blessed her with a community of people who loved her and cared for her and provided for her. She had three big boys, two in high school and one in ninth, uh, eighth grade. And I said, how are the boys doing? She said, good. She said, they're doing fantastic. She said, what do you suppose would be the best gift card for kids to have who, who uh, go to high school and are my boys' age? I said, I don't know, Subway or whatever. And she goes, Subway and Chipotle. She said, my kids have a stack of gift cards like this and they can eat Chipotle or they can eat Subway until the very end of 2019. People are generous. People like to give because giving feels good and even more giving reflects the heart of God. And it's living generously that marks the heart of God's people that marks us. We are givers, and we are givers because it's in giving that we find our orientation towards God and not towards self. In every other religion, people work their way up towards God. If you go back far enough in the history of religion, people sacrifice one another to appease the anger of the deity. Somehow you gave to your God so he would be okay Somehow God would be moved by your gifts. Somehow God would love you more, give you more, make your crops, make your kids, make everything work for you so that your life would be more and more prosperous and you would have more and more of whatever currency your God provided. But not Yahweh's people, not the people of God, not Christians, not people who follow Jesus. We give because we have a sacrificial God who's held nothing back. His love for us having no limits When called upon to redeem mankind, Jesus didn't look for us to serve him. He didn't look for a coupon. He didn't look for points. He didn't look for the the easy way out. Rather, he opened his hands and took a spike. He exposed his side and took a spear. And he poured himself out as a gift for you and me. And through that gift, we have forgiveness. And we have life. And we have salvation. He gave and calls us not to serve money and stuff, but to serve Him by giving our lives away. This Sunday is a very cool Sunday. The auditorium is full of preschoolers. There's a lot of little kids over there. And if you didn't know, we started a two-year-old preschool class, and they're even cuter than three- and four-year-olds. It's unreal. So I don't have to fashion a message for a children's choir, a kindergarten, first or second graders, like I have the last two weeks. This Sunday's kind of a normal Sunday, and a lot of the normal people are in, are in worship today. So I feel like I'm preaching to people I know and love and people that know and love me. Families for which I've been there and families that have been there for me and my family. I feel like I'm preaching to people who get it, who know Jesus and follow Jesus and have a generous way of life because that's what God has called us to. So my prayer for our congregation, for St. John's, is that you and me would be so invested in the things of eternity that we would let go of the things of the world and let the Lord drive for us in our hearts and lives a powerful sense 
of peace and a marvelous rooted sense of security in Jesus. Amen. Join me in prayer. Thanks, Lord, for an opportunity to be together today. We pray that you would bless us and keep us strong in you. Thank you for your gifts of grace and love for us and guide us as we love and care and give toward one another. In Jesus' name we pray.